0: Ladies and gentlemen, now boarding for Latitude, the travel photography podcast on the Improve Photography Network. And now your hosts, Brian McGuckin and Brent Bergherm.
1: Hey, everybody, and welcome back to Latitude, the travel photography podcast. I am one of your hosts, Brian McGuckin, and with me as usual
0: is... Brent Bergherm. Hello. Thank you for listening.
1: Yeah, so it is uh, good to be back together again. And I know, you know, we have talked in the past about trips that we have coming up for us. And I know, Brent, you've got your trip to Croatia like literally around the corner.
0: Yes, at the time of this recording, it's literally one week away. Exactly. I take off from Boise, Idaho from previous episodes. I think listeners probably remember I got a really strange flight pattern because I was using a new airline called Level. And so I need to make my way down to LA first, and then I'll fly from LA to Barcelona. Then from Barcelona, I stay there for a night, then I head over to Croatia.
1: Awesome. Well, you know, as a photographer, when we think about that and going from one plane to the next, to the next, to the next, obviously something that we value is our camera bag. And you've made a decision on what you're going to use. So why don't you tell us about that?
0: Yes, I had a hard decision because I really have enjoyed the Peak Design Everyday Messenger 13 and I just recently did a YouTube video comparing the two and so I walked through good details. So if you want to see the bags in action, you can look my YouTube channel up, Brent Rins Lenses, and look that up and see it in action. But basically, I'm going to tell you everything here anyway. I took that bag the Peak Design last year to Europe, uh, Czech Republic, Poland and Germany, and it performed flawlessly. I loved that bag. I had the Canon 6D at the time, but I have since upgraded to the 5D Mark IV and I have a nice beefy, uh, probably a little more ambitious L bracket than I really need, but it's a nice L bracket from Pro Media Gear and it's just a different it's just a different fit in that Peak Design bag, so I went on a search for another bag. I really like the messenger bag style bag. And I really like uh, just having the flexibility that it provides. But also, things are just nice and compact and small and convenient. So, I ended up, after looking through and researching everything, I ended up with a Tenba DNA Messenger 13. And there's about five reasons, some of which are more important than others to photographers. But these five reasons kind of Came up, uh, you know, above the the, the other type items about this bag that it where it differentiates itself from that and possibly other messenger bags, but I didn't do a head-to-head amongst all these messenger bags, just these two. So the first item is the strap. When I'm at a restaurant or otherwise at some kind of location, I'm just kind of trying to take a little bit of a rest. I don't want to just leave my bag sitting on a chair, sitting on the floor, and someone can just grab and run, especially if you're close to the door or if you're at an outside cafe or something like that. It's just too easy for someone to grab and run. So I like to be able to take it off, take the strap off and weave it through the furniture, whether it's a chair or the table leg or something like that. And if someone were to try to do that, they'll be running with a chair and i could actually probably catch up to them then mm-hmm. while the peak design it, it is possible on one side to remove it it does take a little more work it's not just a quick little flick of the <laughs> flick of the thumb on the little doodad and you can release it from the d-ring so i like that i think it's pretty pretty important for me to have that also the padded compartment where the camera gear is held is removable and I really like that. The biggest reason I like that is it gives me an extra stuff area where I can keep my stuff and really I should probably say lose my stuff because I'm sure there's going to be times where I will say where'd that filter go or whatever and it's just caught in one of these areas. It does allow you to remove it and use it as a regular bag for other purposes. I don't think I'll ever do that but it does um, give you more room to just stuff stuff. And as photographers,
1: we like that. We like room to be able to just, you know, stuff stuff.
0: Absolutely. And I was able to, you know, bring along actually very conveniently one of my extension tubes. I'm bringing my smallest extension tube. But I figured, you know, if there's any reason, any chance that I'm going to be able to do some kind of macro work, uh, the 24-70 to that I'm bringing is the 24-70 F4 by Canon that has image stabilization. But it also has a little section on there where if you flip a little switch... So, it goes into a kind of like a fake macro mode. When I do that, I'll be able to then add a few millimeters to about 12 millimeters of extension tube and I'll get even more macro on that. So, I'm not looking at doing a lot of macro when I'm in Croatia, but you know, I just want that option. It's extremely easy to just slap that in there, slide that in there and, and bring that along. And it hardly weighs an ounce or two, so it's not adding hardly anything to the bag. So, that's kind of mm-hmm. nice. Also, on the Peak design, the sleeve for the computer, it both of these hold a 13-inch computer. And so, the sleeve for the computer is accessible on the outside of the bag on the Peak design and it's on the inside of the bag on the 10 DNA. And I like that for some reason, maybe it's more psychological than actual padding or anything like that but it's just it feels more secure and it feels more the way i would want it designed anyway and there still is an outside sleeve if you want to call it that that you have access to to tuck in your brochures and other things like that on the back side of the bag but at least your computer's on the inside and certainly See, I'm, go I'm
1: opposite with that. Yeah. I like to I like having the computer on the outside. Okay. Because when I'm at the airports, usually I'm gonna sit down and I'm gonna grab my computer app right. and do some work.
0: And I don't want to sit there and open up and show everybody, hey, look
1: at <laughs> all my expensive Look at camera all this.
0: Here. Yeah. I can understand that. That that's a really good case point, and I can really understand that. So this might be one of those things where to me it's not really a reason because you do make an excellent point there. On the next one, this is a huge one for me. When I set my bag down, because normally when I'm at the location, I will leave my computer in the room. I won't bring it with me all the time. Because, you know, that's like four and a half, five pounds that I can save myself because I'm out from before sunrise till after sunset. That's a long time that I'm out shooting and toting that computer around. So, I'll leave it there. But when I set that computer bag down with my current camera in there on the peak design, it literally falls forward and does not sit flat on the base, on the bottom, because it's got a nice tapering design, which is great. I like that. But the fact that the Tenba is more straight up and down, when I put that bag down, it doesn't tip over when the computer is not in there. And with the peak design, the computer is in there, it's no problem. Uh, Just also a quick note, the 5D4 with that L bracket is fairly large for the peak design. I would say the manufacturers would probably tell me that bag really isn't designed for that camera. And I don't know, maybe they'd say otherwise, but... And so, that's why that happens. And I could buy that, so it's no problem. But this this other bag, it doesn't topple over. So, I like that. And then lastly... You
1: know, you're talking about the camera fitting in there. An issue that I have a lot is... Every single one of my, well, uh, to my two cameras, both of my cameras, I have the dual battery grip. Oh, right. Um, because my hands are bigger, so I like to have just more of the camera to grab onto. Sure. And I often find that with camera bags like the Peak Design, when I had it, it does you know, take up so much more space. Yep. So it's hard to find a good messenger bag that allows you to keep that attached to your camera body <laughs> and utilize the whole purpose of a messenger bag.
0: Absolutely. If you have that extra hand grip, the vertical grip, even the Tenba, I might say, would, would probably have a little bit of a problem uh, with that because it is just a, adding a lot more a lot more girth to the camera body. Uh, and then a final one is the fact that it has a strap on the back of the bag that allows you to slip it over a roller bag handle. So, if you do happen to have a roller bag and you're walking around in the airport, city, you know, sidewalk, what have you, you don't have to have it over your shoulder. You can just put it on that and have it roll away with you and that that would be convenient and i've not had that with the peak design so it's nice to have that
1: yeah that is nice i for the first time i think i already kind of shared this part when we talked about our trip to arizona but for the first time ever i had a rolling bag that i used that think tank sent me and i loved it it was great it was nice to like not feel all the weight just pulling on my shoulders sure but the problem that i had which I I already mentioned before, so sorry if this is a repeat to some people, is that when I got to steps, you know, everyone else had their hiking type bags on. uh, And so they just walked down the steps where I kind of had to pick it up by the handle now and take it up and down. So, think tank sent me the airport takeoff version two which is the roller bag that also has the shoulder straps in it and when i go to sweden here next month i'm going to be using this bag uh, just because it's so versatile for being able to do that and you know still enjoy not having the weight on my shoulders but then again when i need to walk a distance and i don't want to drag something just easily being able to throw it on
0: yeah that'd be interesting because i've made the decision for all my other stuff you know my clothes i'm taking an rei day pack and i mean it's maybe a slightly larger than a day pack but uh, so that'll be the only thing I take is the only two items I take is this tenba bag and my backpack. And so, when I'm transiting between locations, I won't have to worry about those steps because I'm going to be in some of those really old historic cities like Dubrovnik, uh, just stairs upon stairs upon stairs in some of these locations if you want to get off the beaten path anyway. And then pretty much anywhere uh, in an old city like that, which I'm going to several of them, uh, I just figured it'd be more convenient to have a backpack style on my back instead of rolling around. So, I decided to go that route.
1: Well, it'll be good. I know the next time that I believe the next episode will be recording, you'll be back from your trip and I probably will just be back from mine as well. And so we'll be able to kind of let everybody know how this bag worked for you and sure. and to be able to share more about our trips then. Yeah, that'd be but, awesome. As you mentioned going around and I think about the travels that we've had, and how, you know, typically you go to a location and maybe you're a landscape photographer and you go and you get your landscape shots or maybe you're more of a street photographer and you just like to capture like the culture and, and the experience or maybe just the food if you're you know more of a food photographer. I often think okay, what is something different that I can do? You know, how, how can I be maybe more creative this time? And uh, Lensbaby sent me a lens to kind of play with and try out, you know, just to experiment with some of my creativity and, and to share my story with them. And so that just got me thinking about what we can do as travel photographers to maybe be more creative in a way. I came across this post from uh, I believe it was 2015 and it was this photographer who would travel around and he turned these international landmarks into kind of like creative art, you know, works of art. And his name is, uh, I think it's Rich McCore, M-C-C-O-R. And he's just, he's got some pretty creative images here and I'm looking at it right now. And you know, Brent, I just, I just shared it with you. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, as you look for example uh, he took london's uh, big ben and he's holding kind of uh, i guess what he does is he it looks like he's cuts out silhouettes right uh, black silhouettes so this one looks like a watch band probably made on black cardboard or cardstock. Right. And so he cut it out to look like a watch band. And in the middle, it's just completely hollow and empty. But he's holding it up to where the clock on on Big Ben there is kind of the the clock on the watch. And you just look at that and it's like, huh, that's kind of creative. And then you go down further and like for the uh, Arc de Triomphe in Paris, he took another one and created kind of the top half of a Lego, which, you know, everyone loves a good Lego.
0: A, a, A Lego figure, a Lego man right so it's like the top half of, of his body and
1: then the arc to triumph is kind of the legs yeah that's awesome And I just, I love this creativity here. Most of these shots are images where he's done that, where he just created something with some type of maybe cardstock that he cut out. I'm going to be flying into Copenhagen. And of course, they've got the Little Mermaid. And so this guy's been there and he created this like selfie stick and he's holding it in a way to where it looks like the Little Mermaid is holding a selfie stick. And it's just really creative. And I love that. So, you know, what about you? What do you do when it comes to being creative on your travels? Or, Or do you not? Or, or yeah. Do you not? What, are, what are your thoughts on that?
0: Yeah, definitely. I do what I can to be creative. I hope that my that people find my photos themselves creative. But I gotta tell you, stuff like this this is outside the norm. This is both creative and I would say very fun. Uh, someone. You know, I think the the listeners should look this guy up for sure. He's on Instagram as well, Paper Boyo, P-A-P-E-R-B-O-Y-O. If you look him up on Instagram, there's just all sorts of fun stuff like this. And it looks like he actually does it in camera. So, that's, you know, he's having the fun while he's out there doing it. Because this could be very easy to do in post-production. But there's just something about this when you're doing it in camera. It makes the whole experience just a lot more fun. And I got to say, on stuff like this, I really haven't done stuff like this. I've done the kind of item where I'll have some kind of figure or some kind of stuffed animal or something like that, and try and get a series of that character in in front of different landmarks and the like. But you know, that's a little bit on the cliche side of things. This goes way beyond that.
1: And yeah, you definitely need to get on his Instagram. He's got somewhere over four hundred posts, three hundred eight thousand people following him. So uh, this is something that's new to me. They're just so creative, you know, and and they're simple too. Yeah, it's like, why did I not think of that? Right. You know? Uh, Rocky Balboa holding hands with the Statue of Liberty, you know? (laughs) or making something some building look like it's a a bowl of spaghetti with stuff dripping over the sides it's just it's just creative and I feel like maybe this is sometimes where I feel like well I must not be an artist if I can't visualize this stuff or if I don't think of that and and you know I often think well what's going to be my thing and one of the first times I ever thought about this was on the trip to Iceland with improved photography when Jim and I first met Jeanette who is actually why I'm going to Sweden for her to shoot her wedding, she had this little Miss Piggy and she would set the Miss Piggy up uh, and get pictures of it in different places where we were visiting. And then she would pass it on and ask other people to take pictures of it too. And she created a fun little, you know, uh, Miss Piggy world tour Facebook page for it. And it just was fun. And it was something where I'm like, oh, you know that's creative. I like that, and I've tried to think. Well, what's my creative outlet when I'm traveling? Because a lot of times when I travel, it's usually for a job, for doing some type of travel photography, for uh, tourism or the landscapes that we do. And I don't often just think, okay, I'm going to force myself to just have fun on this trip and be right. creative.
0: Right. And like, here's another one. Back to this uh, fellow Boyo on Instagram. He's got the the espresso and you know how they do the the little designs where they make it look like a leaf or whatever. Well, he's got a cutout, a paper cutout of a dragon and a paper cutout of a guy with a shield. And so that leaf design in the espresso is the fire coming out of the dragon's mouth. And that's, you know, who saw, how, how do you see fire coming out of dragon's mouth and say, you know what, I need to make a paper cut to do this. That's definitely a different way of thinking. And, you know, maybe it just takes a little bit of a push like this for someone like ourselves to see those other things, because really it's just a little nudge that sometimes we need to take a different perspective on the, the scenes before us. But, you know, like with you going to uh, Sweden and me going to Croatia, it's also possible that our our expectations are so entrenched and are so locked in. And this is something that hopefully reminds us, go ahead and free it up a little bit because maybe sometimes our, our locations are not working out. And this is the time to say, you know what, rather than getting all bummed out, how in the world can I have fun with this? And maybe this this would be a way to do that.
1: You know, I look at this, I'm like, oh, why didn't I think of that? But- sure. I don't want to mimic his thing, and
0: oh, you don't want to copy for sure. But maybe right. there's something that this is that nudge that inspires you
1: in your way to do it. Right, exactly. So you know what? Maybe we need to post this in the uh, Improved Photography podcast, and and just see what other people do for yeah. creativity, and maybe that will maybe that will help. So maybe if you're listening, you know, post something uh, that you tend to do, maybe when you travel for creativity, and
0: oh, I would uh, love to see that. Tag, yeah, absolutely. Tag us on that yeah oh, man, that'd be awesome. I would love to see that. Improved photography has the
1: retreat coming up in yeah. a few months, and I know people will be traveling to Charleston for that. Uh, I am not sure if I will be one of those travelers yet, unfortunately. But you will be.
0: Yes, I am planning on being there and we're in the planning stages right now of a lot of things and so it's getting kind of exciting uh, to be talking about these these different opportunities that we have to go and have so much fun with our, our love of photography and travel photography in particular. And so the Charleston Retreat, uh, if you haven't um, remembered or haven't signed up yet, it's happening March 22 to 24 and that is 2018 and it is of course Charleston, South Carolina. Take a look at your calendars and see if that's something that you're able to make it out there for. If you're kind of just not sure, you're maybe you're on the fence, you're just not sure what happens at the uh conference. There's two or three things as far as a super high level uh type items uh that happens for you at the at the retreat, and that's you know the value aspect of it. Certainly get being able to just have the camaraderie with the various people, whether it's the other listeners or the, the people here on the podcast, other presenters that might be there, there's just a, a nice, really close knit set of camaraderie, but also the just the Immersion of learning... I've been shooting photography professionally for 20 years now. I I should say I have one month left and then it's 20 years because I started my photography business back in October of 1997 and I went to the Phoenix retreat last year and definitely learned a lot myself. Sometimes, uh, I'll admit, I get into this, I get into some ruts sometimes and there was definitely lots of things uh, whether it's new forms of inspiration or new forms of uh, just whatever it may be. Uh, There's ways uh, for anyone to learn something and I think it's the immersions that helps do that. So, I hope you guys will consider going. There are a few things I want to talk about that I'll specifically be doing while they're in Charleston. I plan on doing my camera cleaning clinics again, but there's been some talks with the organizers and how we're going to hopefully expand that because the problem we had in Phoenix was I had like 40 people that wanted to clean their cameras and to do that in an hour and a half is just impossible. So, I, really, I felt really bad about how uh, unfortunately some of those folks effectively got shortchanged and I just really, I, I, I felt that way anyway and so we're going to try and fix that so we can do more of those and we can uh, get people more one-on-one if you want to learn how to clean your camera and dive into that sensor and wipe it clean you know that's what we're going to try and uh, help teach you to do. Uh, I've also got some portfolio reviews that I'll be doing. And then I also have a workshop. And this is another important thing to remember. Pretty much everyone else is doing a post-conference workshop on Saturday afternoon through the evening. I'm the only one doing a pre-conference workshop. So on the Wednesday before, that's March 21, I'm doing a pre-conference workshop. What I'm looking at doing, it's not set in stone yet. I still have a few last things to figure out. Looking at doing a sunrise shoot. We'll have breakfast together. This is going to be an all-day event. We're going to have breakfast together. uh, that'll be on your own uh, we'll do it's just a fantastic historic downtown area old town area we'll have a midday break for lunch and then we'll head out to one of the plantations where they also have a boat ride in the marshes there's going to be tons of wildlife that we'll be able to see there's going ideally this is what their website says uh, it's certainly not something I'm gonna guarantee uh, and then we'll be able to actually stay until the dusk because they have a certain area where they welcome their guests to go ahead and stay until dusk and so I I'm looking forward to doing that uh, and capturing some hopefully some good sunset colors uh, with the different marshes, the different wildlife, the different plants and all that other good stuff. Maybe we'll do some macro work and that kind of a thing as well. So, all of that will happen on March 21 just before the retreat. And so, I'm very much looking forward to that.
1: And now, when you said all day with you, you were saying it in a way that was meant to be like enticing, right? It's like uh, all I, day with Brent, not like <laughs> all day with me. Uh,
0: exactly. With I, hope, I hope that folks are going to uh, just take advantage and pick my brain for whatever fo- photographic or design or any other type of question they may have. By all means, uh, I want it to be a nice positive experience and absolutely, hopefully, people are excited about it. It's something that, you know, maybe you arrive, maybe you're going to arrive sometime mid-morning and you're going to join us, you know, when we first start the downtown area. And that's completely fine too. The sunrise, I'm kind of looking at that as kind of a bonus type item to say, you know what, officially the the workshop starts at around nine o'clock after breakfast, but I'm going to open it up anyway because I really want to shoot that sunrise. And so I'm just going to go ahead and open up to people anyway and invite them to tag along if, if they so wish. But officially the the workshop We'll start at nine o'clock and then uh, in the afternoon or the evening, since we can stay out there at the at the plantation until, until sunset, roughly, maybe we'll be able to uh, go out to eat as well because we're going to be famished. We're going to be hungry. And so we might as well spend a few more hours together just uh, whether we review some photos while we eat or whatever the case is. So hopefully um, we'll be able to find some place to do that conveniently as well.
1: I think it sounds like it's going to be great. You know, the whole the whole retreat was a great experience for people uh, last year from all the feedback that we got. And I just think there's just so much value, not just in the presenters, but just being present with everybody that's there and, yeah. and you know, going out and being able to shoot with people next to you or, or ask questions.
0: Absolutely. You know, yeah. It's, it's that total immersion type idea that it really makes a big difference.
1: So listeners, I know many of you out there remember that not too long ago, I applied for the TSA pre-check uh, after news came out about how photographers are going to probably have to take like basically everything out of their bags. And so I have been approved with that and I share, uh, I shared on Facebook how I've been approved and A bunch of people jumped on and said how much they love it and also mentioned the global entry and how much they love having that. And one of them is our very own Larissa. So Larissa is with us today. So hi, Larissa. Thanks for joining us. Hey, guys. So Larissa, you have both the TSA pre-check as well as the global entry, correct?
2: Yes, I do.
1: Okay. Could you tell us why did you get one as well as why did you get the other and what has been your experience with them so far?
2: Well, when I initially signed up three years ago, when you signed up for global entry, you automatically got the pre-check. So that was how I got the pre-check. The reason I got the global entry is because when we fly, with my husband being a flight attendant, When we come back into the States, we end up sometimes with a very tight connection. So it gets us through the line in the States faster because we don't have to stand on that line at customs that is normally like four airplanes deep with 300 people each on them. They have kiosks in most of the airports that we enter into where you can just go up for the global entry. You scan your passport and then you answer the same questions that you fill out on the entry form. And then you can just walk through and those are a lot less crowded and you end up with the most people, most of the people that are there are airline crew and business travelers. So the line's not as long.
1: Okay. And so when you have used the global entry one, have you used that basically just going out of the country, coming into the country? When, when all has that worked well for you?
2: It works well coming into the country and when you're in the U.S. It doesn't work when you are in another country trying to get through security there. It works when you're in the U.S. and you're coming back and you have to go through customs and immigration because normally there are about 300 people on one of the international flights. And a lot of them are tourists and a lot of them are Americans who don't travel very much. So the line den- ends up being very long. And the kiosks they normally have like eight or ten of them there. And you don't have as many people trying to get into the country with the global entry.
1: So, I'm sorry, just to clarify, let's say you're in France and you're flying home from Paris. You can use the global entry to to get out of Paris? Or no, it you,
2: doesn't do any good there.
1: So, it, it doesn't do you any good until what point? Until you land in the United States?
2: That's correct.
1: So... What's the point of having it?
2: It's entry into the U.S. because it gets you through the lines quicker.
1: But not coming
0: to back to the United States. Well, Once
2: you, when you're when you you going in,
0: through our customs, it sounds like.
2: Yes, through our customs. When you land in our customs, and okay. I know I've landed in Philadelphia and had three or four international flights landing at once. And you've got over 100, 150 people, up to 200 people on each plane. So all of those people are waiting online, trying to come through customs and immigration. And global entry is not something that seems to be very popular because it is so expensive. Well, not so expensive. It is slightly expensive. So those lines are a lot shorter than going through with the other probably 600 people
0: right because you don't have to talk to somebody when you have global entry and you're coming back into the u.s is that right
2: yes that's correct you just just go
0: to the the kiosk kiosk, you scan your passport you put your thumb on the pad and then you move on through is that about it
2: uh yeah you need more than your thumb but yeah you have to have four fingers read
0: oh my goodness yes (laughs) four fingers
2: yes you have to have four fingers read.
0: okay (laughs) i that's that's news to me that's all right Good to know. From some of the posts on Facebook, some people have shared about
1: how they've made it through so quickly that they're sitting there waiting for their luggage. And somebody else I think even said that they beat their luggage so like so quickly that they end up not being able to get it because they had to keep going to where they were going on to next or something but they just mentioned just how how nice that is and when i went to get mine tsa the pre-check one i had asked her about the global entry and she said you know because i live in indianapolis area she said that the closest one is either chicago or cincinnati for me to go get it and she said that the application process is a, a lot more involved for the pre-check, I was literally out of my van and back in my van within five minutes. oh my like it, it was great. I'm like hey that was that was totally worth it I went in she scanned my fingers and then I wrote a check for eighty five dollars and walked out so less than five minutes but she said that the that global entry one that they even like I guess call up your neighbors or or ask, ask people about it, like people that know you, supposedly? Are you familiar? Do you know anything about that, Larissa? No,
2: I did mine about three years ago when it first came out. I mean, I know I had to fill out some paperwork, and there was about a month and a half, two-month wait to get the appointment, So but they didn't call up any of my neighbors. I didn't need references or anything. I just kind of filled out the paperwork. I guess they do a background check is what they do. So that was what they did when I did it. But like I said, I was probably one of the first people to get it because it was about three years ago that I got it. Actually, it's probably it's going to expire in two years. So I checked that after your podcast the other day.
1: All right. Well, so now that I have my uh, TSA pre-check, and I already ordered some uh, some flight tickets ahead of time, so I wasn't able to enter the number at that time. So, what do I do?
2: You should be able to go in and enter it, kind of edit your your itinerary or your name on the ticket, and or you can call the airline. I did that once too. I called the airline, and they actually added it for me so that it would come up on my ticket when I um, when I went to leave or fly on my flight. So call the airline and ask them, you know, with your confirmation number and they can add it for you.
1: Okay. And then I can just take that and walk through straight up to the TSA kind of little gate or whatever, you know, where the guy sits there and they let people through the checkpoint. Um, And then I'm just already there, right?
2: What'll happen is when you print your boarding pass, it'll say TSA pre-check on it. And that way, and supposedly it doesn't happen every time. I know my husband, his didn't have it one time, though he has pre-check. So you have to be careful with that. But if it says TSA pre-check on it, then you just go through and you don't have to take off your shoes or anything or empty your bag. Now, I don't know if that's changed with the new rules. I haven't flown since then. So I haven't had to empty my bag in the past. So your liquids can stay in and everything and you just walk on through.
0: So, Brian, which airline are you flying, though? Just a quick question. Oh, boy. Which flight? I've got
1: a. a- Wedding. Uh, I'll be going to Florida at some point and I'm also going to well, Sweden.
0: The one that you had this problem with where you're not registered with it. So that is the Sweden
1: uh, Airlines that I'm okay. using, the Scandinavian Airlines or whatever, okay. uh, SAS.
0: So you, you probably won't be able to do it with them because if you do a quick search on which airlines participate in TSA PreCheck, they are not mm-hmm. on the list. So there are some airlines that uh, do participate and some airlines don't. And pretty much all the U.S. Based airlines do. Lufthansa is the first European carrier that I'm seeing on the list I'm looking at. And so the one I'm flying when I go to Croatia, actually I'm flying through Spain. Uh, that is not an option. So I opted na- to not apply for it yet because it's not an option for me to participate in the pre-check. And so you wouldn't be able to, if you do, uh, sounds like if, if you did call them up, they won't be able to do it anyway because they're not going to, they don't participate in this. Now, yeah.
2: is it a partner airline with the U.S.? You know how sometimes they
0: partner? Right. It's If it were a code share ticket, I would imagine that it would probably qualify. But if you bought it, Brian, directly from the SAS website, you probably wouldn't qualify. Good to know. Because like for me, I bought mine directly from the, the airline's website and... I I noticed specifically it was missing. I've gone back and I've looked at my registration info and it doesn't have an item in there where I can put my TSA pre-check number on there. So I just figured, no, not going to worry about it. And that's when I found out that some airlines don't participate in it.
1: All right. So I guess the lesson there is if you're intentionally wanting the TSA pre-check or the global entry before your travels, figure out ahead of time which airlines even allow that.
0: Well, the global entry sounds like it's not airline specific because it's not something that is going to have to be printed on your boarding pass. The deal with the TSA PreCheck is they do print a little flag on your boarding pass. So all the security guards... As, as you're going through, they can send you to the TSA PreCheck line, and that's their way of knowing you're a part of the TSA PreCheck. The global entry is just about going through customs, and so that's not an airline-based issue. Larissa, is there
1: any uh, other advice or tips that you would give us uh, dealing with the whole PreCheck stuff?
2: Uh, no, just, you know, if you've got it, sometimes you're going to end up on a longer line than uh, the regular line, but you don't have to remove your shoes and take your items out, so that's always a bonus when it comes to that. I know in my airport, we I've had it where there's been practically no line, you know, on the regular security line, but there's a line at TSA PreCheck, but it's worth the convenience not to have to take off my shoes and empty my bags and stuff like that, so... I just always stay on the TSA pre-check line.
1: Okay, great. All awesome. right. Well, a, it was good to have you on. Thank you for sharing that with us. Yeah, and thank now you. now we're going to make you a part of uh, how we like to end here, which usually we like to end just sharing a, a dream destination of the week and then also how we would say goodbye in that language. So for me, my destination, and I don't know how to pronounce the name of the city, but it's in Belgium. And I think it's uh, Dinant or Dinant. I'm not positive how it's pronounced, but I, I came across it from, one of my uh, mentees in the improve photography mentor group that that i lead and he had been here recently and shared some of the pictures i thought that looks like such a cool place so just to help you since i totally butchered the name i'm sure to help you visualize it you know picture water and then these really pretty colored uh flat-faced housing or buildings right up along the water and there's this huge like boulder that's like a half dome boulder in the background with this neat little church that uh, kind of pops up from it as well and it just looks like a really beautiful place and as i am trying to plan my trip right now when i go to sweden trying to decide if i'm going to go up to norway or hang out kind of south of sweden this is one of the places that is uh, on my list as a possibility and i believe it's also the place where uh, the person that invented the saxophone came from or lived at one time so that is that is my destination of the week Grant, what about you?
0: That looks awesome. I look very very quaint and very nice. Mm-hmm. My destination of the week is Chile. Specifically, the city of La Serena is just a little bit north. And by a little bit, really, it's probably a couple hundred miles because Chile is 4,000 roughly miles uh, from top to bottom. But uh, north of Santiago is La Serena, right along the coast. I've been there before. And it's just fantabulous. The reason I want to go there uh, July 2 of 2019 is there is another full-on total solar eclipse and I didn't go experience totality on this last one and I'm already uh, trying to find a way to get myself down there for this one because I just really want to see it and as I've been talking over with a couple of people there's like 10 different ways that I can think already to just frame up this shot with various things in the foreground and how how would we do this shot. There's also just up the mountain uh, road uh, beyond behind La Serena, There's an observatory with a couple of huge telescopes and I went there for some star trail photography when I was down there a couple of years ago and I would love to go back for the eclipse and so somewhere getting the eclipse would be uh, totally possibly a lovely place to do it and hopefully I can do it. And hopefully you don't spend a whole lot of money on a trip that gets cloudy. It is in the Atacama Desert and they have about one day of rain Rain per year, and so the there's other, a
1: chance. There's there's a chance you may there, be
0: there on that one day there is a chance because July is their winter time, and so there is a chance. But being that this is still kind of sort of close to the to the equator, uh they do have different weather patterns than we have. The one thing that we did experience when we were there very frequently was fog in the morning, but by 10 a.m. it always burned off, and the weather shifted completely, where the wind would no longer blow in from the ocean; it would blow out from the land. I'm sure I have it backwards, sorry. It would no longer blow out from the land, it would blow in from the ocean. The fact that I had that experience already, I'm fairly confident in the abilities to get a good successful shot and I'm really excited about it. And you know, that's the part of, I think, one part of travel photography that's so exciting is just the dreaming and scheming of it. So, hopefully, it can work out. Great. Great. And hopefully, it does work
1: out for you. said. Do you have a, a place that you've always wanted to go, a bucket list location?
2: Well, my most recent place that I've wanted to go to is Georgia, not the state, but the country. Oh, yeah. I've heard a lot about it. They've got great wine there and great food, and the people are very friendly. So that is a place that is it just hit my bucket list. I was listening to a podcast, and they were describing it, and I was like, oh, my gosh, I really want to go there. So, Absolutely. That's on my list. And there's
1: Sweet. nothing wrong with Georgia in the United States, you know. No. <laughs> that that's not what you're saying, but it's always cooler when you get to travel further. Right. And
2: I've been to Georgia and the United States, so.
1: Hey, well, there you go. So you got to <laughs> go to the other one. <laughs> That's right. right We'd like, we like to end uh, each episode with how we say goodbye in a language. And being that I believe German is one of the main languages in my location, I will. Should I sing it to everybody? Sure. You know, because yeah. the, sound, the sound of music, you know, every time I hear this, it's so long, farewell. Avida saying goodbye. And so there you go. Uh, Avida shane or Avida saying or something like that. So that's my goodbye.
0: Awesome. Larissa, do you have one?
2: Okay. I Googled how to say goodbye in Georgian. And I'm not sure if I will get this right. It's gaman shavibida. Nice. <laughs> it's a really long word. Hopefully I got it right. I think awesome. that
0: sounds exact. Nice job. Okay. Yes. Good, and I'm going to leave everyone with a simple adios. Thanks for listening. <laughs>